Welcome to Cathedral Talk, a podcast about architecture and Minecraft, where we converse to save Notre Dame. got a thing about legos so it seems appropriate that in a podcast about building minecraft structures that lego should come up at some point there right i imagine that the two have a lot of overlap yes i'm sure that minecraft is uh at least inspired by lego to some extent i mean we're talking about blocks of slightly different shapes but same basic concept and you know lego been a, has been a good part of my life they sure have been an enduring presence in many a childhood's lifetime uh, but and also in adulthood now for me too I, i've i've regained a love for lego but now i i tend to to get the giant sets uh little sets don't do it for me anymore so i've got the saturn 5 over my left shoulder in front of me, I can see the helicarrier from the Avengers movie, and I've got the the giant Hogwarts castle in front of me as well. And they were a lot of fun to build and a lot of fun to look at. But the reason I bring this up is actually to make a little bit of a callback to a previous episode. I think it, I think it might have been episode four. To set the stage, the Facebook algorithm is problematic in many ways, Whoa. but it has figured out two appropriate things about me. One, I like highlights of tennis. Two, I like seeing what's happening in the world of Lego. Sounds reasonable. Yeah. So one thing that happens in uh, the Lego world that you may not uh, necessarily know about, it's a more modern thing past 10 years or so. There's something called Lego Ideas, where anyone can propose a potential set for Lego And if it gets 10,000 likes, upvotes, whatever you want to call it, then the official gurus at LEGO have to seriously take a look at it and decide whether they're going to turn it into a set or not. I I don't know the the percentages of how often this results in an actual set or not. Wait, 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 wait. I have so many questions right now. Okay, go ahead, go ahead. Is it just like somebody says, like, I want you to, like, build the Taj Mahal and then they just drop the word in, like, a box... Or is it like somebody has to figure out how to build it themselves and then they send like the blueprints? They have to figure out how they how they build it themselves. Um, I don't know to the full extent of how far they have to go, but they have to actually demonstrate the capability of building such a set. Um, and I think there's a bias to not requiring any sort of new pieces like you're doing with the ones that are already around. And I know that some of the sets that have been made this way have definitely changed quite a bit from the blueprint that was submitted to the approved uh product at the end uh as the people who make it uh who actually make lego sets refine it to make it a good model a really cool one in recent years that i'm very tempted to get uh though tom wasn't that jazzed about it was a little player piano a a grand baby piano about the size of a small laptop the keys move with the hammers in the back and it can play some music though not based on you uh, pushing the keys which is a little disappointing but that's an example if someone came up with that idea 
submitted it. Did it have, what it, was it like an actual player piano where you had like a scroll with holes in it? Not like that. More like uh, it has a, you can stick in your, your iPhone or whatever into that space. Oh. And then like you can see sheet music there. Very first 21st century. Exactly. Lego player piano. Okay. Zach is just baffled through all of this. I'm just confused about what you're talking about. Lego sets. Like I thought the whole point of Lego was that you build what's in your imagination instead of copying what someone else has done. Zach, did you play with Legos growing up? I played with Legos growing up. I had this big blue bin and it was just filled with random Legos. And you take it out and you put it together and you have a spaceship. I mean, I know I got those pieces not from a bin of unsorted uh, Lego pieces. I got them from sets, but... If I built the set, I would quickly disassemble it and build what I wanted to. I mean, I, I, was, I was certainly a mixture of both. Uh, certainly uh, growing up, made a lot of things on my own, almost always spaceships, like you said. But now in my life, I, I, I much prefer looking at an actual finished product that resembles something. And I think this speaks to Minecraft in the sense that I've said before that I'm not, I don't have the mind's eye to create things in Minecraft. And I think at this point, the same thing would be true in Lego. I, I can't, I can't visualize and turn something in my head into something in practice. Like it just, it's foggier for me than I think it is for either of you. Uh, and what you're saying, whether you should be doing a set or your own creativity kind of speaks a little bit to you and Tom's difference in how you play Minecraft somewhat. Well, I mean, to your point that I can just visual this, visualize this stuff in my mind and, you know, just build a cathedral out of, you know, thin air. Um, I, I have to do extensive planning ahead of time, usually with lots of spreadsheets and things. And so I like I need plans just as much as you need plans to actually construct the thing. It's just I enjoy the process where I make the plans myself ahead of time. I mean, that's I can't also can't visualize the plans, though. So I have a, even a step removed from you like that's, that's fair but i just i there are some there are there are plenty of minecrafters who can do what you say where people are just like yeah oh, i think i'll build you know the golden gate bridge right now and they oh now they have a golden gate bridge right sure i was like no no i can't do that i have to think things through very slowly and methodically when i when i end up doing things like that i end up with things that are incredibly symmetrical because I can't bring my brain to break out of symmetry. I think it's a um, metaphorical muscle uh, that if you, the more you exercise it, the more comfortable you get uh, doing it. Yeah. Perhaps if you wanted to dedicate the time to exercise that muscle, I think that you could become good at it. I'm not going to suggest that as a life goal for you at the moment. <laughs> you can obviously do whatever you want, but I don't think it's out of your reach is what I'm trying to get at. I think you're right. I, I don't I don't mean to imply that it couldn't be if I truly dedicated to it, though I do also want to give credit to I think there is such a thing as innate creativity in certain people and, and certain people gravitate towards different mediums um, for whatever reason, whether it's painting, drawing, sculpture. Oh boy, there's a whole podcast episode right there. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, and in terms of create, creative pursuits, I guess I think I gravitate towards music. That'd be the thing that my uh, innate sense can go more towards than anything um, physical and visual. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. I, I think we might disagree a little bit on the innateness part of it, but certainly yeah. what you find interesting, it helps uh, exercise that muscle if you are interested in what you're exercising, right? If you're not interested in building on the fly, suit of your pants, Minecraft builds, 
you're not going to be able to invest that sort of time to become really good at it. And if you are interested in making uh, music without sheets, then you can invest the time into that and you can become good at that. I think you're right. When I think about drawing, uh, when I compare Tom and me, I liked drawing growing up and I did it quite a bit, but I could never draw anything. I, I, I could never draw anything remotely accurate in terms of shading and depth. Whereas I look at some of Tom's things that he drew back at that age, I don't think you drew a ton more than me, but you had that ability pretty young. It'd be an interesting point of comparison to know how many drawings I had drawn right. up up until that age, right? Because maybe you and I drew the same amount at that age, but I think when they say when it comes to skills, it's all about the sum total from the day you were born to the present. Sure. And so like, it'd be interesting to compare a tally. And also, this is something that we talked about in terms of Minecraft builds, but uh, realism is a style yes. to invoke an emotion, right? You might not be very good at applying realism when it comes to pencil drawing, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're bad at drawing. It just means that there's another style that's available to you that you might be better at. Like no one no one would say that Picasso in his the height of his fame was using realism. I think your point that anyone who applies themselves sufficiently can achieve certain heights in their artistic ability is laudable, but it does paint a broad brush and not acknowledge that all humans are different and have different abilities and different things, which isn't a bad thing. I, I'm not going to be so naive as to say that all people have the same ability. There are paralegic athletes who can totally kick my ass uh, in sport. Sure. Uh, and by visual assumption alone, their native ability has been hampered dramatically uh, by a loss of limb. Sure. And my my native ability by having all my limbs might be a lot higher, but they have overcome their lack of native ability with persistence to, to such a point where the conversation around native ability is not borne out in reality. Right. Like when you're comparing two people, it's not the native ability that has got them to the height of their sport or their profession. It's their dedication and persistence. Yeah, that's a good point. The the equation, it, what matters is the end of the equation, uh, ultimately, not necessarily the, the parts that go into it. Yeah. And you can you can certainly start off with the advantage. And this is I'm just cribbing from uh, Malcolm Gladwell at this point. I, I was thinking the same. Yeah. Oh, now I'm out of my domain. <laughs> I haven't read it, but I just know of his central thesis. Certainly having having an advantage at an early age can compound upon itself. Yeah. But I'm I'm firmly in the camp of practice makes perfect. So Legos. Yeah, I was going to say, so David, tell us about the Legos. So I was alerted to some news of something that had just happened in the Lego Ideas universe that I was just explaining. Shortly after we recorded, this appeared in my Facebook feed, oh, which no. I will now share with the two of you and I'd like to hear your reactions. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Tom, would you like to describe what you are seeing? <laughs> 
it's like a thousand piece Lego set of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. <laughs> With the headline, Chitty Flies Again. This just randomly appeared in my Facebook feed. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang is not something that comes up much in my life. It's come up because of my nephew in recent months. But before that, it hadn't been in my head in a very long time. And yet here it was. So you think that Facebook hacked our podcast stream? That is not what I was saying. I'm sure some people will make that sort of conclusion. Okay, so when I look at this model of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, immediately I'm drawn to several pieces that are just like, that has to be a custom Lego piece for this and only this. Look at those headlights. Those can't be for anything other than like this particular piece. Well, no, I, I mean, this is just someone made it. So no, um, I mean, I, I, I cannot say that I can truly verify this, but this was just some person who is a, what I think they call master builders, who really likes Lego and put together their pieces. They don't have the capacity to be molding and sculpting new Lego pieces. So no, I think that is from some other set. All right. I know you have a thing against fancy looking Lego pieces. I do. I really do. When I knew we were going to talk about Legos today, I, of course, did just a little bit of background digging on, you know, some statistics on Legos. You know, there's the one you hear like, oh, like over half a trillion Legos have ever been produced, you know, and it'll reach from here to like Pluto or something. Actually, I have no idea how far I would go if you stacked them, but I do. It's not Pluto. Probably not Pluto. But then again, who knows? But the, the statistic that I was really interested in, and I couldn't find like an exact clear um, idea of what the real answer to this was, but I really wanted to know how many unique Lego pieces have ever been developed. I got answers anywhere between 2,000 to 60,000. 2,000 is way too low. I know. I was like, there's no way it's just 2,000. It has to be like way more than that. Like 60,000, I was like, eh, maybe 60,000, maybe. Though I guess it also matters if you're talking about different colors, because obviously... Right, that obviously wasn't clear. Like, are you taking the exact same brick? And then the, I think it's like, I, don't know, I think it was like 60 colors or something that they come in. Um, you know, do you count each of those as independent, you know? But the, the point is, at least it's definitely thousands and thousands and thousands of unique types of Lego blocks. So what I, what always bothers me is like, if I had like a lot of Legos and just wanted to build things... I feel like I just don't have the mental space to keep track of all the different kinds of pieces that have been produced. So like, I don't know where I would begin to build stuff because my, my encyclopedic knowledge of what's possible just wouldn't be there. You know, like with Minecraft, you know, it's a relatively conservative number of blocks to work with. So I'm pretty much aware of what my options are, I guess. Have you considered using the Minecraft subset of Legos? I did look at them a long time ago, but I haven't looked at them recently. Did, do, do you like them? I haven't used them. I haven't used Legos in a long time. After being a vagabond for so long, I tried to pare down the amount of stuff that I had. Uh, so... The amount of books that I had went down. A lot of them went into ebooks. Uh, all my DVD cases got discarded. Got a, just a sleeve container for them. All my Legos gone. All my magic cards gone. I definitely had a large trunk of Legos that just disappeared, and I have no idea where they are. Oh no, I have all those. You do? Yeah. Wait. At some point, I just combined all of yours with mine. You wait. What? Yeah. You. That was you, like you, fifteen years ago, at least. You just wait, wait. You just took all the Legos that were in my trunk and you, you, you just put them in yours. Yep. We will have words. 
go off on him. Profanity. <laughs> uh, he knows that I can bleep him at any given time. <laughs> Hence the last episode. Oh, yeah. Got some beef to pick with you on that. Beef to pick is not a phrase. That's 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 not good. No. No. No, that's not a phrase. What's the the mining time of a beef block with a diamond pick? There aren't beef blocks, are there? Please tell me there aren't beef blocks. <laughs> well, how also do you have beef to pick? I guess you could pick a cow. <laughs> there may not be beef blocks, but if you fill a chunk with cows, you have a beef <laughs> chunk. That's a lot of cows. I think there'd be entity cramming at that point. That's a lot of cows. Anyway. <laughs> oh, we should say this Chitty Chitty Bang Bang set is uh, the reason it got news is that it, it achieved the 10,000 upvotes oh. um, for them to officially put in a review. Though funny enough, I, so I found this three weeks ago or whenever uh, I first uh, first came on my feed. And uh, then I set it aside and went back to look at it again, uh, find it before we were recording here. Turns out this is the second time this person has submitted JJ Bang Bang. Oh. <laughs> Their hmm. first time was rejected. And so they've made some refinements. Oh. Couldn't tell you what those are. But they uh, they they have resubmitted and it got 10,000 uh, for a second time. Maybe it's like one and a half scale, I'd say. Yeah, it's probably one and a half scale. Oh, this is even better than I realized. So I'm reading the description of the old one here. Yeah. The first line of it is, so here we are, as promised, with a resubmission of my original Chitty model. That means we're actually looking at the third generation of it. Oh. It's hmm. been rejected twice. <laughs> I don't think you need to uh, worry uh, too much about a world where your son can get a Chitty Chitty Bang Bang Lego set by those odds. I mean, okay, look, I, I made fun of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and I complained quite a bit about it. But the real truth is, it's just my own parents, our own parents, sweet revenge, because I watched that movie quite a bit growing up too, and there's quite a soft, warm spot in my heart for Chitty Chitty Bang Bang as well. So I just want to say, I may have trashed the movie quite a bit in podcast number four, but I love you, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. You know I love you. And when you say quite a bit, let's just be clear for the listeners, um... You might not be thrilled that we've returned to this subject because you thought we spent a lot of time on it previously. What you heard was massively condensed. <laughs> so have you, Tom, have you built any um, replica structures using Lego? So the problem with Legos, at least for me, and again, I, I should first off say that I haven't tried in a long time. The thing about Lego blocks is that they're not simple cubes, right. right? The ratio of height to width to depth is not one to one to one. Like their base is a square, but their height is like, isn't it like, David, is it like 1.2 to one? Something like that. It's like a very unique aspect ratio, which makes, of course, then planning out any kind of builds a lot more intricate. Clearly professionals do it, but it is hard. Right. So, yeah, the answer is no, I haven't. Um it certainly is doable, but one, I don't have the money for that because you have to pay for all those blocks. It is an expensive hobby. It's an expensive hobby. And two, um, I like Minecraft, so I do Minecraft. I actually have a memory of being, eh, I don't know, 12-ish, 10 maybe, and finding out that there was more to Notre Dame than just the West Facade because the West Facade is all over our house and <laughs> then suddenly finding out wait there's a whole part behind it what's all that stuff that's not in here i guess it, i would have been younger than 10 because i saw the movie well i think probably both you and i kind of learned about notre dame at the same time because we both saw the disney movie on vhs together for the same time maybe i just didn't put two and two together i was just an idiot i am six years younger 
I do want to point out that I want to give um, uh, credit to really mom because uh, it was uh, our mother who really um, helped me sort of find my passion for Gothic architecture. Uh, because I remember after we watched the Hunchback of Notre Dame and I was like, wow, that was that building throughout that whole movie. I was just really into it. And um, the next day she came home from the library from campus and brought home, I think, two different VHS documentaries on Gothic cathedrals for me. And I just like plowed through them. And at that point I was, I was hooked. That was it. Uh, so really a kind of mom helped get me out the gates on that. You had already liked bell towers at that point, which isn't that far removed. Yeah, that's true. But I hadn't like sort of like all of those little passions for like, you know, bell towers and bells and, you know, different buildings. It hadn't coalesced around cathedrals until that moment. But yeah, there's lots of other um, there's like more modern games, of course, than Minecraft these days. Zach, you linked us recently an image of another Notre Dame somebody built in. Is it Fortnite? Oh no, no, it's not. No, it's not Fortnite. What was the? What was it? It was uh, Valheim. No, Valheim. That's what I'm thinking. Sorry, not Fortnite. Maybe I should edit edit that out. No, no, no that, you, that that was good. Your your ignorance and stupidity can remain in the podcast. Do I even want to know what Fortnite? Oh no. <laughs> Do you not know what Fortnite is? Um, is it like how would how is, would you it, even make the misattribution? To Fortnite, because uh, it's in New York Times it, every now and then. Is Fortnite the game where they have forts and they build forts and they built the no? Tr- no. <laughs> okay. I'm I, I'm curious. Why? How is this misattribution happening? I I thought that fort means it's a game where you build forts. There is structure building in it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Fortnite has has broken out of gamer culture into larger culture. I think okay. is. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it was in Endgame, right? Avengers Endgame. Uh, it is an Endgame, that's true. I just more mean like news articles have been written about it frequently enough to have broken through Tom's consciousness. Tom is a video gamer, but Tom has played two games in the past five years. That's accurate. Not 100% accurate. Okay, past four years. Baldur's Gate 2 Enhanced Edition and Minecraft. That was older than two or four years ago. I mean, you could still play it. I mean, you're... You're not a helicopter brother. You don't know what I do with all my time. You don't know if I played a little Baldur's Gate or something else here or there, David. Do you? I don't think in a couple of years, but <laughs> I'd have to I'd have to check again. Okay, so I'm looking at um the homepage for Fortnite now. This is not the game I, I meant to refer to. No. <laughs> um I I had that wrong. We're glad you've realized what everyone else realized a while ago. Yep. I imagine it might be possible to make something Notre Dame in Fortnite, uh, but it is a shooter. And so the possibility of having a griefer come along and destroy what you're doing is not only high, but part of the game. (laughs) (laughs) It is, in fact, the goal. (laughs) Valheim. Valheim. Is the link that I sent. Right. I, I stole it from our Discord. I wasn't the one who found this article on Eurogamer. Oh, okay. So what's Valheim, Zach? I've never actually played it, and I've seen on Discord that you have played it, so maybe you're a better describer of the game than me. I mean, it's a fairly typical game in the survival genre where there's a big open-ish world where you need to gather resources to survive. You don't have to, but you can build a little fort to keep your possessions safe 
in a not dissimilar way to Minecraft, but with a little bit more emphasis on the surviving side of a survival game and not unlike Minecraft, which is more about the building side. But even in a more limited system that of building materials, some people have made some pretty, pretty impressive things in it, including someone made Notre Dame. I, I will note that the person who made it said that it lagged the game out incredibly because it had way too many assets for the amount of space that it was. Uh, so straining the game a little bit to make it, but that's what Ingenuity's for, right? So that, that game has both a survival and a creative mode? No. No, it's all survival. Okay, it's just, it's all survival. As part of your surviving, it's, you can be making things. Are you surviving other humans or are you surviving like, you know, fantastic monsters and things? Fantastic monsters. Ah, okay. Yeah, I keep going back and forth in Minecraft on like, you know, what's my preferred method of play between um, survival and creative because like there'll be times like I definitely started off very much in survival mode way back when and played a lot of that. But then you can only terraform so much dirt before you're like, what am I doing? Or like, I just need an editor to just delete, you know, 50,000 blocks of dirt in five seconds rather than waste, you know, hours on doing that task. But then there's also something that's definitely lost, too, when you just suddenly go into creative mode and you can just quickly build something. The sense of accomplishment is not the same. So I, I keep going back and forth on that. My experience with the genre is primarily the most fun you have in those games, which is not, for me, not dissimilar to Minecraft, is in those early hours learning the world, learning the systems, and setting up the basics. Once it starts getting more complicated uh, in the Minecraft stage of like once you're building redstone things, then I really start to lose interest. The branches start spiraling in different directions too much for me. Well, you see, that's where I've been picking it up the most because I feel like recently I've gotten really into survival just because I was never a big redstone builder in the past, but I've really gotten into it ever since Zach sort of opened the doors for me a bit and showed me what was possible in modern Minecraft. And I'm learning how to do more things. And I find that the most interesting part of survival. For people who are willing to spend the time to learn all of that, you know, more power to them. Like it's great to, to find a game that you really like and you can learn all the intricacies of. Um, I recently tried picking up a, a game that's a single player survival sort of game called oxygen not included which is about making a little base underground the game was horribly obtuse and not explaining anything to you initially and so i started watching just a couple of youtube videos to just like understand the very basics and i and i was really enjoying that but then youtube started recommending me other videos in that game and the places that game goes to like nuclear power and going to space or something it, just looking at what the map looks like after someone has gone through the full tech tree to build it out was just completely overwhelming for me and i lost all interest in the game at that point i couldn't even play the basic part anymore because knowing that was out there was just too much for me well it kind of sounds like a civilization game right Oh, there's a game that I played in the last two years. I played several games of Civilization VI, by the way. Thank you. I'm so proud. Yes, you should be. But for Civilization, I should be, to be fair, I usually only play it about through the Renaissance and then I just stop because it's just like, I don't care what happens after this point. All, all, all of the industrial age and beyond doesn't matter. It's just worthless time. It's one of those games that I know what the end game looks like and I'm not interested in it. Zach, is that how you play Civ? I know you play that fairly regularly. 
Um, no, I mean, I play Civ like I play Diablo. <laughs> Wait, what? There's not, there's not much thought involved. You murder everything. <laughs> no, I don't do, I don't do military victories very frequently. I am not getting this metaphor. You've just broken my brain. All right. So this is the way in which the play styles are similar. It's very little thought involved. I'm not someone who will use the map pins to strategize yields. Uh, I don't play on deity, even though I've sunk almost 2,000 hours into the game. It's meditative. Diablo is a bunch of clicking, uh, and it gets you into sort of a meditative state of mind in the way that, like, whirling dervishes get into a meditative state of mind about, like, spinning. Or just branch mining for diamonds in Minecraft is meditative. It can be, yeah. There's not enough diversity, I think, for me in the branch mining, but it's a similar, it's the same idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just killing monsters over and over and over in Diablo 3, there's enough diversity in how you do it, but it's it's still sort of the, the same underlying flow, and that flow gets you into sort of the capital F flow state of mind. And Civ for me, is sort of the same way where I'll place districts, uh, make new settlers, improve the surrounding, build builders, rinse, repeat, and then eventually a victory screen pops up. And that process of going through the sort of same but different motions in a thoughtless way is, I don't know, it's beneficial to my brain. You and I play Civ so differently. Like, so first of all, when I play Civ, I must regenerate like the world terrain like 500 times before I find a world that I'm happy enough to give the energy into building like a beautiful civilization on. I think the last Civ game that I built, I was the ancient Greeks and I really wanted to build an Acropolis on a hill, you know, in a big city for Athens, right? I just wanted to sort of, you know, like try to re- create to the best of my ability Athens with, you know, the Parthenon at the top of the hill. And so I just spent so much time trying to get like all of the train hexagons and all of the, you know, resources to just sort of mirror that as much as possible. And while the rest of the world was just destroying each other on, I think, a continent that was right next to me, I had like my own little island and they somehow left me alone most of the time. And it was great. I was just like, great, you all just fight each other to the death. And then I just sat there and just did my own thing. And then I got bored and left. You also had to reload that like 14 times to make sure that you got your the wonder before some other Civ beat you to it, though, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I suppose in that capacity, I really cheat a lot. Yeah. Save scumming. Yeah. I mean, you disengage with the game at some point because it gets boring to you. What thought reflection goes on about the way that I play the game is not the way that the game was intended to be played. And I am also disengaging from the game. Maybe I should play this game differently. Why? Why should you play it differently? If you've gotten 2,000 hours of entertainment out of it, who's to say that you're playing it wrong? No, no, not me. Tom. Tom says that like he stops at the at the Renaissance and he was just like, I'm I'm done. I don't. This is, I know how this is going to pan out. I'm not interested in this. Why not engage with the game in a different way? That may be more interesting. Because that's not what I'm interested in. I'm interested in castles, not smokestacks. Not tanks. Uh, not tanks, not skyscrapers. I just, I, I don't like the aesthetic of the modern age, so I just quit. 
Well, maybe Civ isn't the right game for you. <laughs> Zach, you're the first person I've known, I didn't realize you'd sunk that many hours into it, who has a comparable number of hours to my wife. I hear a guest star on the horizon. <laughs> That's right. She became a gamer only in college, uh, first introduced her to Portal, and then spent a while trying to figure out what other games that she might like, and eventually came across Civ. And she spent the first 50 hours of her Civ career being terrified of any sort of battle whatsoever. She always asked me to help her with any sort of combat, but eventually she got the hang of it and has subsequently put in at least as many hours as you said into Civ 6 and a, a comparable a number to Civ 5 before that. But all of those hours, she plays it exactly the way Tom is describing. I don't think my wife has seen a victory screen or a defeat screen in Civilization once. She plays a game for however many hours, um, but by the time you reach the medieval age, that's all she's wanted out of it. She'll, she'll quit out and start again. Um, I don't think she's ever, maybe a single time, has made it to the modern age. Props. Totally understand. Tip of the hat. Zach is beside himself. Zach looks baffled. <laughs> no, I don't look baffled. I mean, I, I knew that about Tom beforehand. Like, I just wanted to, to razz him about it. Uh, but, like, from a game mechanics standpoint, uh, I think we're all used to games having phases in them. Sometimes they're hard phase transitions. Sometimes they're soft there's in the 4x genre exploration at the beginning of the game is different than exploration at the end of the game once borders have been drawn and military is the the easiest way to shift those borders then uh, at least in civ and this is a, a criticism that isn't my own the game can feel very static in the end game uh, i recognize that even though that may not be your wife's primary reason for quitting the game does shift in tone and play and can be for a lot of people much less engaging in the second half for Civ. For Tom it's not engaging for aesthetic reasons for a lot of other people it's not engaging for mechanical reasons I don't know why your wife is not engaged with it in the in the second half but there there are plenty of legitimate reasons why you might like one phase of the game but not like another phase of the game and you were you were mentioning previously you like the beginning phase of minecraft you don't like the end phases of minecraft yep very true i think really that to this day i have of course our multiplayer map that i'm building the new two to one scale notre dame on right now but i also have a single player map too that i'm slowly sort of evolving and i really kind of treat my single player map as this is what my capital city in civilization would look like if I could build it with all the wonders I would ever want. And of course, when it comes to the different civilization games, uh, I have to say Civilization 4 ranks is the best. But then I probably have to say Civilization 6 is my second favorite. It would definitely be almost a tie with between 4 and 6 if it weren't for one simple fact about Civilization 6. I'm sure you can guess what it is. It doesn't have Notre Dame. It doesn't have Notre Dame. I don't know what they did. It was in Civilization 4. Notre Dame was in Civilization 5. Why did they get rid of it in Civilization 6? What's wrong with them? There is the Steam Workshop that allows you to download player mods that have wonders in them that aren't part of the base game. But Tom is too much of a traditionalist for that. Are they like, do they actually appear in the game? Where like it'll put like... Yes. It's a mod. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. I, I really like the natural wonders that people have added to Civ 6. 
I, I just download a, a whole bunch of them. And then I have another mod that allows you to increase the density of natural wonders on the map as well. Is the Great Barrier Reef in base game or was that a mod? That was in the original game. I have, um, I've been using these player mods for so long, I don't remember what's part of the base game or not. I, I remember that one. Great Barrier Reef was in the game. They had the addition of Mont Saint-Michel, which was uh, a fun addition. That's probably my new favorite wonder in Civilization VI. Something else I need to build in Minecraft, but oh boy, that'll be tough. There's no way you could do that one-to-one, right? Oh, no, you totally could. Especially it, that, especially since we're getting a new map height. Not until Christmas. Not until Christmas. Is Mont Saint-Michel taller than Notre Dame? I have a sense that it is, but maybe I'm wrong. Oh, oh, definitely. From 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 bottom to top, definitely. Okay. There's conflicting reports, but I think the most advertised report is that the tip of the spire of Notre Dame is at 96 meters from ground level. Uh, again, I've gotten slightly different measurements, which I've actually posted on our website uh, when I did my own like look at the blueprints but again you know that's just me messing around Saint michel was just saying yeah is, is yeah it's pronounced Saint michel i think Saint michel uh yeah. is bigger you were saying than notre dame when i was at Saint michel it seemed a lot bigger like it rises out of a flat flat floodplain it uh, rests on uh, and you could see it from like miles. So like it was just an impressive looking thing. But that very well may be due to just the geography rather than the actual size of the real thing. So I honestly couldn't tell you. I don't know. Are there a lot of like little structures nestled inside the walls? Yeah. So it's it's like a t- it's it's Minas Tirith. Basically, it's you know, it's a tiny, tiny little city town inside tiers of basically a castle uh, that rise to a, a pinnacle abbey at the top. When you're when you're approaching it, like I imagine some things stick out visually immediately. And then as you get closer to it, more detail sort of becomes apparent. That's how eyes tend to work. Well, like if you look at El Capitan in Yosemite, it's big when you are coming into the valley. And then when you're right next to it, it's just big (laughs) (laughs) no no i I hear you i got you the the features that are evident when you're at distance i'm assuming are different for mont saint michel than they are for el capitan and the things that are evident when you're close up to mont saint michel are different than what they were when you were far from it yeah perspective it has a big effect on that the things at scale bring out different features of the building. Obviously, if you're standing far away, you can take in the whole structure, appreciate the different elements and their relative sizes to one another. Whereas if you're up close, those base walls can feel quite massive. Whereas, you know, the abbey at the tip top can feel disproportionate to all the buildings that you're surrounding. Um, but I feel like that Mont Saint-Michel, since it's, like I said, it's 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 like a tiny town squeezed inside a castle as it, you know, just ascends the the slopes of the hill. It, it feels semi-chaotic that way, and it feels almost naturalistic. And any weird jarrings that you might get from a weird perspective feel less dramatic for that reason. When you're trying to build a replica of something where you where you don't have miles to come upon your replica, how do you choose the features of the replica that you want to give you the same sense of scale? 
Right. Well, I mean, I think the first question there is what scale do you use, right? Oh, certainly. Yeah, that's a great question. You're building a two to one of Notre Dame. Like, why choose two to one? Right. And I'll, I'll be I'll have a vulnerable moment here for a minute. I, I've been feeling um, intimidated by just how large it is, not simply because I'm building it in survival. And there I'm like, what have you done? But in terms of just what it is going to look like when it's done, it's such a different beast in terms of how you emphasize details at that scale, because suddenly blocks are almost like pixels rather than elements. A block might be a column at one scale, whereas a block is just, you know, a tiny little detail for this pier, this very different scale. A lot of people still build it bigger than even this two to one scale. I've seen some like 2.7 to one scale Notre Dames, which are just like really, really large. And for the reason, like you said, they look really impressive if you can get really far away from them. But you can't do that in game. You have to use a special editor. You have to use Chunky, which is a screenshot program that can take high res screenshots at any distance. Or, you know, you might have to use some kind of replay mod to crank up the chunk settings at a very high distance and then just let the frames slowly render one after another get a video. But you certainly never get to experience it, I think, on any normal computer so I am a little bit worried about how that'll play out in our game with our two-to-one build. But I will say that the thing that Notre Dame has going for it as a structure in general, not only for this model, but for the real building, is that Notre Dame looks really good from almost any angle, close up, far away, at, you know, at any direction or perspective. And that is not true for a lot of cathedrals. And I thought I'd maybe just quickly show you here a couple slides that I assembled to actually illustrate this. What is this first building? Okay, so the first building that you're looking at right now is St. Paul's Cathedral. And if I haven't said it before, St. Paul's Cathedral is my second favorite building, second favorite cathedral there is. It's not even a Gothic cathedral. It's a Baroque cathedral. It's the giant domed cathedral in London. It is the big domed church throughout Mary Poppins. So, you know, I'm sure a lot of people will recognize it from that childhood movie, uh, you know, as they're dancing around the smokestacks uh, at the end of the movie. And then they look out across the vast cityscape um, and see the great dome of St. Paul's rising in the distance. You know, that little movie that many fewer people have seen than Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Yes. <laughs> That's the building. And the dome is a lot of people often compare it to the U.S. Capitol Dome. They, they're they not identical, but they have a lot of similar characteristics. And I had one student in my calculus class once say, oh, wow, they copied the Capitol Dome. And I was like, oh, oh no, my friend, the St. Paul's Dome came first around the year 1700. And our Capitol Dome was built in the Civil War. Christopher Wren was the 1700s? Yeah, 1700s. Oh, I was thinking he was way later than that. Yeah, yeah. It, not exactly 1700, but I want to say early 1700s. I think the breaking ground was late 1600s, huh. and then the church took, I think, about 35 years to build. Oh, uh, because the, the Great Fire is the 1600s. So, okay, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, 1666. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So if you look at this first image of St. Paul's, this is an image of the west facade of St. Paul's. And this is an image taken probably on some kind of crane or something, but it's relatively close to the west facade and it's looking at it. 
And you can see the two twin towers of the bell towers of St. Paul's. And again, this is not a Gothic cathedral. This is a Baroque cathedral, which has many classical elements, um, many, you know, different columns. These are Corinthian columns that make up the portico with the pediment and the sort of gable that, um, you know, make it kind of look like a Roman or Greek temple almost. Way off behind it, though, you can see the dome rising in the background. But in this image that we're looking at right now, the dome looks really petite. And it's because we're so close to the Twin Towers, uh, we're so close to the west facade, that perspective-wise, in proportion to our distance, the dome is really far away. And that's not the effect, I think, that Sir Christopher Wren, the architect, wanted when he built the building. What he wanted was for people to appreciate this grand dome much larger, rising from behind the two twin towers. He didn't want it to feel like it was this petite thing. So if you look at the second image that I have here of St. Paul's, this was an image of St. Paul's, by the way, this is just from, from some book on St. Paul's. Um, it's called St. Paul's Cathedral, 1400 uh, Years at the Heart of London by Anne Saunders. Uh, I've, I haven't read the book myself, but it had an excellent cover with a great illustration. So, So in this image, the dome appears much larger because we, the observer, are standing much farther away from the whole church. And I think the camera lens is probably zoomed far into it. And so the twin towers at the front of the west facade, they are dwarfed in comparison to that dome that just rises behind it. And so you get that really neat effect of this grand dome rising between those two towers. So this is, I think, just a clear example of how the cathedral is very much changed and how it looks depending on your perspective of where you're standing. In my memory, an even worse example, or better, I guess, depending on how you want to describe it, is St. Peter's Basilica standing in Vatican City looking at it, where, um, correct me if I'm wrong, that dome is larger than St. Paul's. Yes, it is. Yeah. That's even bigger doesn't look it. it it looks tiny it looks far away it doesn't look impressive and at the very least with saint paul's you can get a good visual of the dome from the side but there's really no way to see saint peter's basilica from <laughs> in my opinion frankly any good angle i mean there's some bridges and things um i mean we i was in rome for a little bit like you and um you know we got a couple good photos of it but not many it was difficult to to get it in just the right you know, angle of the cityscape. You definitely had to be far away from the whole structure at St. Peter's. And I think one of the other things that St. Peter's suffers from as well is that the the west, um, well, actually, sorry, it's not west at St. Peter's. St. Peter's is actually facing the other way. It would be the east facade. Um, the, the main facade of St. Peter's is a rather oddly rectangular edifice. There's no towers. It originally would plan to have towers, but they never built them. It just is kind of, yeah, it's this it's this square facade that you get a very limited sense of perspective with the other elements that rise behind it, like the dome. I wonder, um, have you guys been to the Hagia Sophia? I have not. I want to, though. I should say my wife has. She, she loved it. Well, she can be a guest host. She'll love that. <laughs> I don't, I mean, I was, my mind was fixated on the domes, but I don't really know why domes are significant in some cathedrals but are not present in others so there's going to be many you know explanations to i think that question but so 
I think that's yet another whole um, episode that we have coming up. But that's actually a great topic. You know, the different ages. To dome or not to dome. To dome or not to dome. Yeah. But there's many different ages. I I guess I was – your interest in cathedrals is for the architecture and certainly the the architectural decisions dictate to dome or not to dome. And I guess we can go into that in more detail in that podcast. But uh, something for that podcast, I was was curious if the dome had theological – religious significance maybe save 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 that question for the future and i'll see if i can have a better answer for you but this this picture of notre dame uh unlike saint paul's cathedral you're saying notre dame looks good at all angles which i agree with yeah so i mean obviously notre dame's west facade while it still has layers that are recessed into it it's still very much a much more flat surface that is meant to stand on its own i'd say the west facade of Notre Dame is, again, the most beautiful piece of the whole cathedral, in my opinion. Those twin towers and then the rose window and the great portals and the galleries, it all, you know, it doesn't matter if you're standing close to it or if you're standing far away from it. It feels in harmony regardless of your perspective. You can still make it appear different ways depending on your perspective. Like these two photographs do appear a bit different. You get a much more rectangular feel if you're standing far away. But if you're standing close to it, you can get a real sense of, you know, the 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 diagonals and different elements start to float in slightly different ways. But overall, yes, Notre Dame feels in tune with itself regardless of where you're standing, which is one of the big triumphs of its exterior. And then this last cathedral that you have, <laughs> uh, that you're showing us, this one's slightly different. The rose window, it looks lit from the inside, Yeah. as as do the towers. The towers as- are rather, in the, being in the front, they're kind of at the bottom and I think we're looking the at sides? this cathedral from the east end, but then the rose window would be would be facing the wrong direction. It's weird to have the towers horizontal rather than vertical. That's an unusual choice. <laughs> and this one, this one has a dome, but it's got a dome on the top and on the bottom. It's a pretty flat dome. It's a very squished dome. It's a flat dome. Yeah, it's more like a frisbee. <laughs> and it's surrounded by all that black. What is all that stuff? Soot. Soot. It's soot. So much soot. <laughs> What are we look? What are we looking at, gentlemen? We're looking at the Enterprise D <laughs> from Star Trek: The Next Generation. Tom's other architectural love. Just, just as a little bit of metadata here for the audience, I think maybe at some point, I think it got cut out of an earlier episode, but somebody made an offhand comment about Star Wars, and I had to cut them off right there and said, "There's no way we're going to talk about Star Wars before we talk about Star Trek on this podcast." And seeing that we're all in like episode six now, I was like. I better work in Star Trek at some point just so that if it does come up in any other medium in the future, I won't feel guilty. Wow. This is way more shoehorned than I thought it was. I thought you actually had a, a connection to the scaling conversation here. I do. I do. No, I, okay. I, I, go I'm, on, sho- go on. I'm shoehorning it, but I, I, okay. So, um, so the Enterprise D is my favorite enterprise from Star Trek. Uh, it is, um, from Star Trek The Next Generation, so it wasn't the first Enterprise. The first one was designed by Matt Jeffries for the 1966 uh, original TV show, whereas this one, the Enterprise D, was designed by Andrew Probert um, for 1987 with uh, Patrick Stewart, you know, and the Next Generation crew. And 
I think it's fair to say from all the polls I've read that this is either usually first or second or maybe third in terms of the most favored enterprises, but it is controversial to some. And I think the reason that some people don't always like it is because it does suffer from, again, perspective. If you compare these two images that I'm showing you right now, the first images were kind of like with St. Paul's and the first one and kind of like with Notre Dame. We're really close to it. And when we're really close to it, the saucer section of the Enterprise-D appears gigantic, whereas those little warp nacelles in the back appear quite small. And it makes it feel very, very top-heavy. Somebody once described it, and I was really offended at this, but somebody said, the Enterprise-D is the minivan of space. <laughs> and I, I, I had to stop being their friend after that point. I'm sorry, okay? <laughs> it wasn't you, it was somebody else. But if you look at this next image down here, um, the Enterprise-D, in my opinion, looks glorious when you're just zoomed out away from it enough. When you can actually get the proper proportioning of the warp nacelles, the engines at the back of it, with relation to the still large but more elegant saucer. Uh, it's just an example of how perspective can really change things. Well, it's also the, the first image, the one that uh, you're, you're claiming that some people find ugly. I don't agree, but whatever. Uh, I mean, it, it's also, it's not just that it's more zoomed in. It's also from underneath. And I learned one thing from my very short stint is doing any sort of communications work is that you never want to take a picture of someone from underneath them looking up, that it's one of the most unflattering positions that you can get for someone. And that's what is being done here. I have no idea if that's actually true advice. That was just what one person told me. But regardless, we're going to, for the moment, say that it is true. And that's what's happening here. We're, we're taking a picture of the Enterprise D like we're looking up its nostrils. That's, that's kind of true. And that, that is not ideal. And I have to admit... Zach is squirming <laughs> so fiercely. We, we, can, we can deal with um, how camera angles and emotion play together in a different podcast. Okay. Not a different episode. <laughs> I definitely think of this as like a part one because I think it would be really interesting to compare how some of the Minecraft builds of both the Notre Dame build and other ones I put together look from different perspectives where you're standing because I think that would also be another great example of perspective and the limits that having it to different scales can have in the game. I will also point one last thing out to you about these two pictures of the Enterprise-D that I picked. Um, they're technically not even the same model. Um, I don't know if anybody who isn't a super nerd is aware of this, but Star Trek The Next Generation had actually three shooting models of the Enterprise-D when it was filmed in 1987. There was a gorgeous six-foot model, a tiny little two-foot model just for really far away shots when they couldn't get far enough away from the big model in their limited studio space. And then they also much later, I think at the end of season three, built a four foot model that was an abomination. Uh, it changed a lot of things. It thickened out a lot of the rim edges. It thickened up the rim around the deflector dish and it straightened the warp nacelle pylons into very straight right angles rather than having a more graceful curve. If you actually compare the curves of the pylons between the last and the second last um, images here, you can see that the bottom image, which I said was my favorite, is actually of the six-foot model, which does have more graceful, slender curves to it, whereas the four-foot model, which is ugly because it's up close, but it's also ugly just because it's ugly. I hate the four-foot model. 
Does it hurt you to say that about your favorite starship? It doesn't hurt me to say that about the four-foot model. The four-foot model was ugly. And unfortunately, there was a good bit of time that it was really the only model that was used for later episodes. The six-foot model, uh, as beautiful as it was, wasn't used for a lot of the later seasons because the cast and crew said that it was very large and cumbersome and they said it was too difficult to move into certain angles for certain shots. But I just took that as they were too lazy to use it. And on that disparaging note of Star Trek... They should have known. They should have known the six was so much better. I don't have a rejoinder. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's just going to go into transition music. I approve that our first discussion of Star Trek ends with Tom criticizing it. Hmm. Maybe I should have thought that through. That's it for now. Check out our podcast website at cathedraltalk.fm. There you will find many architectural visuals and Minecraft goodies. If you would like to support our efforts here at Cathedral Talk to aid in the restoration of Notre Dame, please use the direct link on our website to donate to friendsofnotredamedeparis.org. Friends of Notre Dame is a nonprofit organization that is leading the international fundraising efforts to rebuild and restore Notre Dame Cathedral. By donating to them through the link at cathedraltalk.fm, we'll know that our podcast is reaching new patrons. As our own Minecraft project progresses, we'll be sure to share plans, screenshots, and videos for your own visual palette. Good day and happy building.